Welcome back to another episode of Culture FC, the weekly soccer show that's not really about soccer. We cover lifestyle, fashion, music, politics, all the things surrounding the beautiful game, just none of the stuff happening on the pitch. My name is Louie, and I am joined here by my two co-hosts, Alan and Brendan. And this week, we talked about futsal. What is futsal? Futsal is a -a five-a-side version of soccer that is played on a court. The reason we talked about futsal is that futsal has been so integral into the development of some of the world's best players, such as Ronaldo, Xavi, Pele, Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi. Some of the best players on the planet have played futsal, and they have credited it as one of the main reasons why they were able to get to where they were. We talked about futsal's global impact on the game, whether or not we think should be implemented in the U.S., as well as if futsal will ever be able to discover or cultivate the American Messi or American Ronaldo. Can't get enough of us? Make sure you're following us on Instagram at culturef.c to see some behind-the-scenes footage, things that you don't get to normally hear or see in, in these episodes, as well as some interesting stuff that we post pretty often. We also have our own clothing brand. It is called Treble. It is a soccer-inspired activewear and fashion line run by the three of us. And you can find us on Instagram at Treblewear. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review on either Google Play or iTunes. It really helps us rank higher, and we would really appreciate it. If you have friends who like soccer, please share this podcast with them. The more people listening, the better we get at what we do and the better episodes we make. And that's it. Let's jump into this week's episode. started off this weekend for our um, three topics just because it's an actual perfect segue from last week sort of we're gonna be talking about the main man again Mohammed Salah is on fire so I'll praise the king I'll praise the king and that's kind of funny because in celebration for his record-breaking season Adidas did something kind of cool and donated his boots to the museum in London celebrating egypt so his boots are now going to be on display i think it's this coming week or the so this week if you're listening um his boots are going to be on display and it's going to be part of the kind of current events of of egypt um and it's going to be cycling through their their past history and then kind of showing this current idol and everything that he kind of means for egypt now that's crazy when you're talking and then like when you're it's just crazy to me when you're thinking just like culture and like in, in the impact that soccer has on it, like yeah. who would have thought <laughs> Mohamed Salah's boots would be presented at a museum in 2018? Especially the fact that like he's not coming out, like yeah, he's coming out of nowhere, but he has been playing yeah. for a couple of years now, and like having one crazy season, yeah, is now in a museum. It's projected him into yeah, yeah, into it's kind of already historic, yeah, s- status. It's just adding another layer to it. Yeah, wow. And adding I mean, in another quick layer on top of that, um, he is also not breaking fast for Ramadan oh, for the really? Champions League final. Wow. That's so, going to be very interesting to pay attention to. Yeah, so be, be – uh, Wow, cross your that's like that. – well, oh, That's wow. another just perfect segue from last week's episode, yeah. right, of this guy that's just kind of – Damn, that's interesting. Yeah. Biggest game of the year, and he's still going to keep Side true to his religion. Yeah. his religion. That's good. It's, 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 it's great it's, to see. I mean, it's, it's great for the people of, of – 
of his same religion who are idolizing him right now. It's like, wow, this guy is so good at soccer, and he's not going to succumb to, like, the outer world and actually keep going with what he believes in. No, I think that's a major point because it'd be super easy for him to just be like, oh, hey, guys, it's the Champions League final. I want to make sure that, like, we win. Mind you, he's 25 years old, so this guy is not much older than us. I I actually really like that he's not breaking because – I, I was reading, just after that episode, I was kind of still intrigued a little bit. And I was reading some, like, negative comments on him of just how he's, like, his nickname is Mo, and they don't actually use his full name a lot of the times. Like, he's kind of accepted that, and people yeah. are like, well, then he's being kind of uh, gentrified, or yeah. he's being okay. more commercialized into the white culture. Um, so I think this is a nice little kind of, like, stick it to them. And it's like, dude, no, he's he's pretty genuine, and it's, sure, it's just a nickname. But yeah, I don't um, think he's the one who chose right. Mo. Right. Yeah, right. But still, I just think it. I don't know. It'll shut those people up. Yeah, I guess. it's just it's like, like nah. dude, this dude's this dude's genuine. He's that's, that's going to awesome. be a crazy story. Then if he does well in the Champions League final, this guy's like is two, three. <laughs> Imagine he's like <laughs> <laughs> that'll be the final nail in that coffin. Of what we talked about last week, where people say like, "Oh, you can't play soccer if you're fasting," but yeah. clearly, if he does he well, if he does well on Saturday, then yeah, that'll be. I think that'll be the final nail in that coffin. Um, but back to the museum, I think that's really cool. But one question I have to I, I want to ask is like I wonder if it's because it's an English museum, their maybe th- their perception is a little skewed. But then again, if it's an Egyptian museum, that I'm sure someone yeah, well, from Egypt is putting well, input into it, right? Well, yeah. So it part of the reason why his boots are being in put in there is because he is an Egyptian that is abroad in London and he's h- having cultural impact from overseas kind of in Egypt. So it kind of, it, it sort of plays together with just this, it is Egyptian um, culture, heritage, etc. but it also plays in with how important figures, how important Egyptian figures um, have been for the culture even outside of, and especially, in, especially in England. Yeah, um, for sure. His, his general impact. No, I think that's great. I think that's actually, that, that explanation probably, that's really great because uh, if you think about like the impact of Egyptians on global culture, he's having a phenomenal impact, especially like we talked about last week. He's sort of tra- changing the perspective of uh, that some people have of Muslim soccer players. So that's really cool. Yeah. I think he deserves to be in there. That's pretty awesome. This is also just like, this is also... There's so many different facets of this that are kind of interesting to me. One being, um, I wonder how many people are going to be going now just to see these boots, these kind of record-making yeah, right. boots. And for on it from Adidas' standpoint, it's an amazing kind of ad. <laughs> for sure. But then again, there's nothing even wrong with that because if you're no. going to see the boots but you happen to stick around and yeah. check out some of the other artifacts, then yeah. it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Adidas wins, Mo Salah wins, the museum wins, Egyptian culture wins. I think it's that's really interesting. I like that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to think of, like, these brand new soccer boots kind of contrasted with these old Egyptian artifacts. They must look so, so out of place. Yeah, <laughs> so out of place. Um, just a quick little last-minute thing for, for Mo. Uh, the fasting ends half hour before the kickoff in Kiev. Oh, wow. But uh, so. But how much will yeah, eat. how much can yeah. he eat half before cuz he's going to Well, but he'll be able to drink, drink water. water. So, so that is hopefully he won't be too lethargic. Yeah. Cross our and to be honest, He's probably somewhat used to Yeah, right? If he's still doing it and stuff. And the thing is, he's been doing it for... So we said Ramadan started last week, I believe? Uh, yes. Or the week before? I think last week. It so was the 18th? The 18th it started? If I'm not mistaken. May... It was... Uh, and 16th. May 15th. 16th. Tuesday. First day of Ramadan. Okay. So either way, he will have been doing... Uh, he will have been fasting for a while, so his body yeah. should yeah. be used to it. True. When it... Like that day, you know? Um, so, no, that's cool. That's good. 
You want to hit? It, you want to hit us with the next one, B? Yeah, um, not as as crazy as the Egyptian king, but um, as the world now knows, Arsenal have a new coach, right? Unai yes. Emery. Yes. Um, I feel so bad for Arsenal fans. And the interesting thing that I thought came out of all of this is he announced it on his website a day before Arsenal like let it out. So he just came in and was yeah. just like, "I'm the new coach. <laughs> this is what's going to happen." And then they have now announced it today. And um, I guess I wanted to get your guys' perspective on if you were, like, an Arsenal fan, what if, like, having that coach now announce it before he's even been announced by the team itself, like, do you think there's already going to be a preconception of what's going to go down? So, is my thing, it's just, like, in a world where, like, everything is super commercialized and... um, We've seen even like the commercialization of uh, squad announcements with England um, coming out and making like a music video for their announcement. I, I find it super interesting that there a was a lack of communication kind of between the two. Um, it's not a great start when you start a you start like just in general you're yeah. starting off a job and there's no communication between yourself and the people above you. Um, as a fan, it kind of puts you in a tizzy. You're just, you know, you don't know what's, what's actually going on. But it, it's interesting. It's kind of, it's weird. It, I, it's also his is he has his own personal website. Yeah, he's just, <laughs> he's just he has his own Twitter and stuff too. Probably, yeah. yeah. That's weird. I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like he has. <laughs> he's. I have I've never heard of a coach that has his own like website. He's promoting himself, kind yeah. of in a, in a sense. Wonder, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's great. If I were if I were an Arsenal fan, I'd be like my head would just be like exploding because a I don't think many Arsenal fans actually wanted him. So mm-hmm. him coming out and saying that, and then Arsenal not coming out until the next day and saying yeah. it kind of is, puts you in this position of limbo. Right, I agree with you. I think it's he came on, he started off on the wrong foot, and I think it's it, we're in that age right where it's like you have coaches who have websites, and it's yeah. like everybody is their own brand and so for Unai Emery he is a brand the same way that Arsenal is a brand and a team and he is also a brand and a coach and it's like he broke the news himself first definitely didn't look good but it also got a ton of hits to his True. website so yeah it's almost it, like they read it let it like yeah. clog like, the traffic it, was it actually it a mistake right <laughs> and so it's like <laughs> it's it's that it's that uh, it's very strange happening right it, it's like it's like that a weird co- it's like a it's hard to believe it's a coincidence. Right. Yeah, true. Um, I don't know. I think that it'll probably blow over pretty quickly. I don't think it's going to be that big of an issue, but it isn't a great first look, you know? No. Um, one thing I saw that was really funny about him, it was like someone on Twitter wrote, Arsene equals Arsenal. The other person wrote Emery equals Emirates. Guys, I think I figured out <laughs> Arsenal's recruiting <laughs> policy. Oh, I laughed so much at that. That um, is great. Yeah, I, I actually, I don't think he was the right choice for them. I think that Arsenal could have probably found a another better coach but you know what are you gonna do whatever yeah, i actually heard that arsenal gave a phone call up to patrick vieira from nyc they did wow and he w- and he came out and, s- and said like thanks for like the the gesture when he turned them down wow <laughs> super weird there's also super some rumors sad. that he's leaving um new york city yeah uh, they're Maybe saying he's he might be going to coach he might go no they're, it's not even secret they they the offer was apparently from nice OGC Nice, but I don't know if it's actually going to go through. But we'll see, I guess. Something to keep an eye on. Lastly, for our our last news topic of the week, uh, this one was really interesting to me, and I 
happened to find this out by accident. The in 2019, there is a league set to launch in Canada called the Canadian Premier League. Whoa! And it is the f- one of the f- I believe it's like the first modern organized Canadian uh, professional soccer league that uh, essentially they're trying to create their own top level league. Versus right now, you have three different Canadian teams playing in the MLS because you know there was nothing uh, you know there was no league in Canada. Um, but the, the the league's focus will be to fully Canadianize itself to improve the talent and the sport in Canada. So in other words, they're trying to cultivate talent in Canada for soccer and mm-hmm. really just improve the sport in the country as a whole. Um, as of right now, they have six confirmed teams and they've been kind of releasing them slowly. So about a week and a half ago, I started following the Canadian Premier League on Facebook and every couple days I'll, 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 get the, I'll see these new like announcement videos of the different teams. So right now you have uh, teams in Calgary, Alberta, Halifax, Nova, Sco- Nova Scotia, Hamilton, Ontar- Ontario, uh, Surrey in British Columbia, Winnipeg, and then in the York region of Ontario. Um, and they're trying to, I believe, by next year, they're trying to have eight to ten teams to start yeah. the league. Um, but it's phenomenal. I, I thought it was, you know, really cool that Canada was starting to implement its first, you know, top flight proper uh, Division One soccer team. Or lot, sorry, excuse me, soccer league, and they've come out and said that they uh, they will have promotion relegation, and they are also implementing a club based structure versus the franchise based system that is in the MLS. Canadians, man, they yeah, be doing right. it right. Jeez. Not to pat myself on the back, <laughs> but um, at first, like when you fir- when you just brought that up, I had never heard of it. My first initial thought was, hmm. Not so sure because Canada's population is basically made up between majority like three cities, but majority one, which is Toronto. Um, but it, when I thought about it a little more, we kind of talked about this in, in previous episodes. I think that that actually could create for some really amazing culture because if you only have a few cities, major major cities that can that were you can kind of build fan bases you can really build some rivalries like toronto itself could fit probably three or four teams i mean it's a huge city yeah you can see that becoming a real hotbed for um producing soccer talent and clubs and fans that are supportive because toronto is such a diverse and um multicultural city i mean it's, it's amazing the people there so i actually think now that that if it were to catch on really and more teams were. It would almost be like a London type of thing, where London just has a, a, it seems like a, t- a club every every street block. Um, I think it'd actually be really really interesting and something that I definitely would w- want to follow. So here's the interesting part about that, is that they haven't really been placing teams in the traditional Canadian cities, right? right. So. In all of that list I just read to you, not a single one right. did I, I didn't mention Toronto. I right. didn't I mention Montreal, with the, with the nor yeah, did I, I mention Quebec City. Yeah. So, you know, three major, major cities in Canada, yet it seems that the Canadian Premier League is avoiding those main major cities. And I think that's an issue. Yeah. And, of course, you have Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal in the MLS, and so that's probably the main reason. Yeah. So you already have that cu- culture instilled in the MLS for those clubs, I think it it's not a great look, I don't believe, for Canada to already have three teams in the American League. Mm-hmm. But it's like, at some point, it'll be interesting to see if they ever jump ship and go back up to the Canadian Premier League. Then right. again, I don't know. It's, it's going to be something to, to keep an eye on. But 
I also don't see what's stopping them from adding a, a, a Toronto team for the Canadian Premier League and a right. Toronto team for the MLS. You know what I mean? There's, like you said, it's a huge, huge right. city, so why not have that, right? right. I um, just hope that it does so well that the MLS is just like, dang, like, why are so many more people watching the Canadian Premier League yeah. and not MLS? And now we're going to have to start biting off them. Yeah, kind of become this That'd be the perfect example for, yeah. Um, no, I think it's cool. I, I, I Yeah, it, it was super strange when hearing the list of teams that those major cities weren't mentioned. Probably something like that. It Also, maybe they're just giving more consideration to these smaller venues or, or smaller cities for now. Maybe trying um, to grassroots kind of thing. Right, and, and kind of establish a base before kind of targeting this larger market. And But no, I, th- I think that's cool. I, I really do hope that that picks up because it seems like the their, their general mindset is in the right lo- direction of kind of what, <laughs> what us, uh, what's the term? European, <laughs> Euro- what's the European trash? Or yeah, you're oh trash. yeah. What uh, the? But, but the overall promotion relegation and, and general um, ideas behind it seem really cool. Yeah, and from every video that I've seen and everything that's come out with, they've tried to make everything very wholesome. Like all of the cl- like the two clubs that have names and have um, like identities already created for them, it's York Nine FC and Cavalry FC. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I thought was really interesting is the Cavalry Football Club. It's the one out of Calgary, Alberta. Uh, they took their name from these. I guess at one point there was a bunch of farmers who lived in Cal in Calgary, and they kind of banded together to create a militia to help fight in a war. And so you know they're pulling these names and pulling the identity from things within you know canadian history and i think that's awesome like you should have a a very rooted identity into your city and into you know be authentically canadian yeah you know i'd love to see what the the schedule is for for this for this league because canada is a snowy yeah i was gonna say snowy place and <laughs> it's funny because on the map all of these locations are at the southernmost parts of canada i mean <laughs> I, I would show you guys i'd have to move my laptop but they're literally like all very close to the border yeah. with the U.S. because of that. But yeah, that, that's going to pose a challenge for sure. But you know what? I think that Canada is such a big country. Sure, their population might not be massive compared yeah. to like other countries of the same size, but still a major country. Yeah. You know, you yeah. should there they should be able to to house a league and prosper relatively easily. You yeah. know, and I feel like the Canadian people in general are pretty like nationalistic. They really do love Canada for for what it is and. Um, I, I, it'd be interesting because I feel like a lot of their major sports are all included with the U.S. and they're kind of just they're kind of there's peripheral teams. Yep. I mean, even the, the the Raptors this year had an amazing season and still were kind of looked over because they're kind of this Canadian team. I think so. It'd be cool to see a just Canadian based league and and I, I think people will get behind it. I think so too because I think that there's a there's a very there's a much bigger European influence in Canada than there is in the U.S. I guess. So I think that the pe- this is probably ju- I'm just guessing here, yeah. but I think that it would they m- the people in Canada might be a lot more receptive to soccer initially yeah. than people in America were when the MLS tried to start. Well, they have start. a lot of overlap with your uh, with like the uh, English holidays. I mean, we have a lot of French influence there, so there I think for sure that that it'll, it'll pick up. And for those of you who don't know, Alan was born in Toronto. Yeah. So shout out the six Canada boys. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So I think that uh, that wraps up the news for the week. So let let's jump into the main topic. This week, talking about futsal. What is futsal? Futsal is five-a-side soccer played on a concrete or, you know, like kind of like a basketball court. Yep. Um, and futsal has been a huge part of many many soccer stars like early foundation players like Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Neymar, Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi, Xavi, and countless others have all gotten their starts on a five-a-side pitch, either through futsal or through street soccer. 
And the main question we kind of want to ask today is, like, can futsal be the answer to cultivating the American Messi or Ronaldo, right? And also with that, it's also kind of like, let's examine the impact that futsal can have on player development and its impact on the global game overall. Um, so like what's different about futsal than regular soccer is that, like I said, it's played on a smaller pitch. It's only five players on the, on the actual uh, quote unquote field and you have one in net. Um, but the difference is it's a much faster game. You have to make decisions very quickly, work in tight spaces and just improve your technical ability from the beginning. And the reason why uh, this is interesting is that because a lot of these players that I mentioned, they started off when they were kids playing futsal. And it's very common for South American, it's very common for South American kids to get their start playing futsal because, you know, it's just a little bit easier. You can put kids in a, in a court and they learn how to play the game that way. And a lot of people have been making the call that that should be implemented for every youth category. And an interesting example of this is with Christian Pulisic. And he started also playing futsal when he was younger. His dad, Mark Pulisic, used to be a professional soccer player in the, it was like the indoor professional soccer league of America. This was before the MLS existed, of course. And so his father, to make sure that his son learned how to play the game the right way, quote unquote, and to learn how to play futsal, he created the the first futsal league in the Detroit area himself. He was like, all right, well, I'm a player. I'm playing in Detroit. I want my son to learn futsal. There's no leagues for me to put him in, so let me create a futsal league, which is pretty great. Um, And he ran it on three basketball courts at the indoor facility where his team trained. And that he credits that, and also Christian Pulisic credits that for a majority of his early learnings. Listeners might let, if if you've never seen futsal, and I think that a lot of the younger generation um, today probably hasn't, uh, I think in our kind of generation, Americans were more exposed to it if they had ever seen the kind of Nike Joga Benito series that occurred. They really were putting. Um, I mean, you remember the videos of Ronaldinho playing as as, as a little kid on the on the, the futsal courts, seeing Terry Henry playing as a as a kid in his like hometowns on the streets there, and a lot of people thinking like, well, what does this have to do with developing players, and. It goes to with what you were talking about, Louis. Of just futsal, if you've never played it, it's a shock when you actually get on a court with people that have because it is significantly faster than the actual game on a field. I mean, the ball just flies. There's no long balls. And, and if, when you talk about developing players, it creates players that have to know where they are on the, on the court at all times because you can get scored on pretty quickly if you mess up. But also you have to know your pass before you are even yeah. able to make it. So you think of these players that you've mentioned, the Ronaldinho's, the the, the, the Neymar's, the, the Rubinho's, the Pele's. These guys set a foundation very early on. Well, I mean, when you're thinking about developing players, getting them in their prime years as, as very young kids, if you can already have the mentality of playing that pass before the ball even gets to you, that you're creating players that when you get to these older ages, you can translate that type of mentality onto a big, bigger pitch much, much easier. Yeah, it's easier to make something from a smaller pitch to utilize Absolutely. it on a bigger pitch. In my perspective, never played futsal, still have never played a game of futsal in my entire life. Yeah. Never touched a futsal ball. I mean, it's hard to come across here. I mean, yeah. the, the where, we, where we played indoor, they just implemented this over the the last year right yeah last summer they implemented a a a futsal court um but to your point about developing the players it's 
the timing of it is very interesting. The reason you get kids in at like five or six and you let them play futsal till they're like around 11 is because uh, if you've ever, at least from my experience of watching youth players in America and youth soccer in America, you'll watch a game where there's like seven or eight year olds out there and they play on a very big pitch and all they're doing is it'll be one giant mob here chasing the ball and the ball is chasing over here. These kids aren't actually learning anything. They're just chasing a ball, getting kicked up in the air. And you have, and I've read reports of this where people have criticized uh, American coaches because for kids, they're basically trying to teach them tactics at the age of six. Right. And they're like, just, oh, you have to learn how to do this and that. But the truth is you got to teach them the core fundamentals of the yeah. game. And it also matches up from like a growth perspective of each child, right? So if you're five or six, you're not gonna be able to, you're not gonna hit your 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 peak physical like physicality until you're much older. So, as you know, at five or six, there's no point in teaching a kid to run as fast as possible and teach him how to be as quick as possible when he could lose that in a year, right. or you know, over time you could lose that. Versus teaching someone the fundamentals at that age, and then once they hit eleven or twelve, transition them to the big field. That makes a huge difference because then at that point, they already have the skills and their body's getting to a more mature point where now you can teach them, all right, now you have to be a little bit stronger. Now you have to be a little bit faster. And at that point is when you should start implementing tactics. Yeah, because as, uh, as a kid who grew up playing the, the outdoor all the time, I didn't really gain any real experience until I was about 12, 13 years old, until there was more just more tactics and we could understand a little more. If, if we had that foundation of just being able to know where your next pass is going to be. You're like, you got to get rid of that ball quick, son. Yeah. Like, there's not like, okay, you're going to get the ball and then you're going to run as fast as you can with the ball all the way down the end of the field. It, it's it's just something that we definitely missed yeah. as, as a, Americans, and, I think. And what I think is super interesting, and I'm going to quote our friend Justin from the Grill FC episode, the artist over the athlete. And futsal very much so promotes the artist over the athlete you can put the most physically capable person um, on a big pitch you can expose them on a futsal field like you've never seen them exposed before because the athleticism aspect isn't necessarily going to shine because it's so small you need to be able to have that touch have the awareness so when you're talking about kind of promoting a culture where, where the the beauty of the game comes out more than the athleticism of it oh, yeah futsal is the perfect canvas for this to be expressed on and i think that that's a major point is that a lot of times uh one of the quotes i was reading in an article about this exact topic it was that like if you've seen the usa play you know that they work their asses off they work very hard at every single game like you've seen the usa in a world cup they physically work as hard as possible but they you know they've lost a lot because a lot of times in soccer what decides a game isn't necessarily who is faster who's stronger who's more athletic it's who's more creative who has the technical skill to be able to to break a game at any moment you know what i mean like if you've seen messi or cristiano ronaldo play you know that even if the game is evenly evenly matched at any moment either one of those two players can do something creatively that will open the game up completely and that changes the game and so that's one of those things that a lot of people have been kind of calling for is like let's develop that creativity first let's develop the let's develop the artist over the athlete let's right. develop those before we just decide to be the most athletic people and, and i know it's a big shift for for american sports because all of america a lot of american sports are 100 percent built on athleticism you right. know in, in basketball oh, yeah. it, you have to be the tallest the biggest the strongest and that's how you win or you know in football the fastest the biggest the strongest is the one who, who wins of course right. you have skill positions but that's right. what they talk about they talk about it as a skill position right. not as a you know 
you have to have major skills. I'm not saying that basketball players or football players don't have skills. I'm just saying that the general mindset is always get the biggest, strongest guys right. and put them to play. Right. Well, you a know? lot of, I mean, to your point, a lot of like college recruiting for football, coaches just go up to schools and find the biggest dude. And it's like, we can teach him what he needs to know for that position. Yeah. But, but you don't necessarily need to have played one of, one of my friends at, at UMass. He, he played basketball, UMass, big dude. He said he got recruited for Ohio State to play football. The uh, coach showed up and was like, hey, just saw him. He's like, you ever play football? He's like, no. Nah. He's like, hey, you want to come play football for Ohio State? That's and crazy. He didn't because he, he loves basketball. But yeah. that goes to show you that 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 does not fly in the world of, of, of soccer. No. You cannot get come start playing at 18 years old and think that you're going to be a star because that's not going to happen. Well, there are f- fundamental things that you have to know from birth almost, almost for yeah. you to become a professional player well it's funny that you bring that up because i've read stories of certain nba players that um i forget his name but he 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 came from an african country and he had never played basketball in yeah. his life but he just happened to be really really tall yeah. so right before high school there was a coach that found him in his hometown and just trained him in basketball from yeah. the age of 17 to 18 yeah. and then he got recruited to play college yeah. basketball just yeah. because he happened to be yeah. six five six yeah. six and it's like you could never in your life pick up a kid I, at the age of 17. I've never heard a story like that for a, a professional soccer player. You will never, <laughs> hear, and I'll tell you this right now, you will never hear a story of a 17-year-old kid being discovered yeah, one day and then six months later is right. playing in essentially a, a semi-professional environment. Because technically college sports in America, I consider that like yeah. basically like a Division two almost because yeah. that's how technically, like that's how yeah. much these kids play yeah. and how much they do it. But yeah. You would never see that in soccer. You would never like in soccer. You have kids. You have players who are five one, five two, right. who can play soccer. Right. You've never heard of a five two player in many other sports. You know what I mean? Like you, you that just doesn't happen. Like in in certain every no. sport, there is a a yeah. basically almost like a, a, a quote unquote like cap to certain physical limitations that players will be allowed to be within yeah. to be in that sport. In soccer, it doesn't matter how tall yeah. you are or how you know whatever it is. Every player can develop their game differently. You know, if you're Peter Crouch and you're super tall, I was going to say, be the one who heads the goals in, but but be a specialist in certain things. Still be a specialist. If you're Juan Mata, who's five, 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 six, play in the midfield, be quick, be crafty, you know? So I think that that is a major difference that I think Americans need to wrap their head around when developing soccer talent to eventually, hopefully find that American Messi, American Ronaldo, whatever it is. But it, it will take a shift because I, that's kind of like what everyone believes is like yeah. the fastest, strongest, you know, most gif- physically gifted players yeah. or people are the ones who are the best. But that's not necessarily true. And do I think, uh, sorry, you do you guys go. think we're still we're too entrenched in this mentality that it'll ever change? So I don't think we're too entrenched in it because uh, uh, one of the things that ended up happening was the United States Soccer Federation has mandated that um, the, for the development academy, at least that their players start playing futsal from a very early age. So I know that their development academy isn't as far reaching as yeah. you know some might hope, but within their development academy, players have to play futsal. Yeah. And you know, we've seen this in Atlanta, like you the, that that pitch on the side of the the Marta, the, that pitch that we talked about there in the Atlanta episode where they created this five-a-side pitch right outside of the the transit station there. That we've seen has been getting a lot of attention yeah. and um, even Neymar has a company called like Neymar Five Asides, and yeah. they've been touring the world doing tournaments of five aside play, and it's slowly starting to shift. But what I find interesting is that one of uh, another interesting topic that's been brought up is the comparison with basketball. Basketball in the 
uh, like 60s and 70s had an explosion of people playing it because you had basketball courts across the country being yeah. put into neighborhoods left and right. And so any kid can go to their neighborhood basketball court and get good at basketball. Yeah, right. And so, you know, a futsal court is the exact same size as a basketball court. You can play futsal on a basketball court. Right. So I think that that is a huge opportunity to develop players it is that is fine like create futsal courts within these neighborhoods and allow kids to play on a five-a-side field i mean we've gotten lucky that where we played soccer there was a five-a-side field at like jefferson hills and it's you know it's grass of course but it's still five-a-side with bylines and everything still need to be quick there yeah even when you play like i have played a few games there and it's amazing as a kid who had never played that close quarters game it's amazing how much better you get even just after playing a few games yep. yeah. your whole mentality shifts and that can totally be transcended to the, the bigger fields and right. absolutely yeah i mean it builds it builds the the necessary building blocks or the foundation for for creating good good players and i think a lot of times when we're talking about players um you mean you can always you can kind of cultivate good players but i think it's important to see that a lot of international teams have been built on this foundation. I think of the World Cup winning Spain side. You have the Iniestas, the Xavi's, the David Silva's. These guys there are the epitome of what futsal kind of, the futsal style, the one touch, the boom, boom, boom. Brazil has been has had Celestones um, that have been built on this same fundamental theory, right? So it's it has a proven tr- track record for, for establishing not just players, but overall international teams. I think that's a good uh, playing off of that. You know, I think a lot of people in America are starting to see the MLS growth and go, oh, this is amazing. This is great. We're starting to develop players. This is cool. And while that is good, you kind of eventually will have to break the walls of being this isolated soccer country like we talk about all the time and how, how MLS is very content with being isolated. But for you to be able to cultivate talent that can challenge at the, the highest stage and every every American fan who's listening right now who realize, who's talk, thinking about how the U.S. isn't in the World Cup, this is what I'm talking about. For the U.S. to have a really, truly challenge for a World Cup, I think that futsal being implemented, you know, whether it's through actual dedicated locations like where we've played uh, soccer before where they put a futsal court or even just people putting futsal in s- to create street soccer all across the yeah. country, that's how you're going to find, you know, those kind of players who are technically gifted who then transition into a uh, full-fledged player. Look at how much fanfare is being made over Christian Pulisic across the board. Yeah. And so for yeah. him to have gone through all of the, a similar process like this, it should be the blueprint. It right. should be the, the the stages that everybody takes into. So when all you people, you hear people talking about, oh, how do we cultivate a, a great team? Well, you have a player who everybody's already touting as the savior of American soccer. Follow that example. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like it's 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 hidden. He no. talks about it often. There's many articles on the internet about it. And it's, you see a blue, like it's worked really well for him so far. They're touting him to be ma- making a move to a big Premier League club soon. So it's like, Ooh. you know, why not follow that mentality? Yeah. Um, but I think one of the uh, a good question is, do is there something that needs to change for us to, to get into that mentality? Or is it just a matter of time before it starts to, to seep in? I, th- I think time. I think time uh, because um, I know the family I nanny for, their kids now. I mean, he's in eighth grade. And he's he's in a futsal league as well as an outdoor league. Same thing with the 17-year-old. So I think that, I mean, granted, they are on more of a, 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 a maple team, as we would say back in the day. Um, I think that 
these public, I mean, the, the Framingham youth and everything, the youth teams will start to realize that, wow, like these, these kids who are playing on these different teams are playing both indoor and outdoor, and it's actually futsal. It's not just like your normal indoor soccer. I think that over time we will start, it'll start to seep through because who doesn't want to produce another Pulisic, you know? Right. Yeah, I think that it, it's a matter of time. It, it's also just there needs to be a little bit of onus on the people that are higher up in the footballing tier in the United States. I know Orlando City, they've donated a few um, outdoor pit, outdoor um, futsal courts. Uh, and, and I love seeing that because I, I don't want to say the onus is on MLS teams, but the onus is on the ussf and people to kind of put an effort and put the money that they have behind just creating overall um courts around the country to help kind of introduce that that aspect of the game to americans more i think that that would be a great way for the ussf to invest money and and build for the long term and creating these these courts i mean you see basketball courts everywhere but and you oftentimes see tennis courts but it'd be really cool to just kind of find somewhere where you had futsal courts um, for, for kids to be able to play in and old adults, whatever it may be. But that would really help, I think, in the long run for the U.S. to, to see some, some great progress. For sure. Um, one interesting aspect that I just I thought of is, you know, in America, at least in the upper half of America, you know, I mean, I'm talking about geographically, we have winter. So, you know, like we said, there, you can't really play soccer year-round in certain aspects, especially not here in Boston where we are. So, I think futsal can be a very um, like clever workaround for a lot of the teams in the northern part of the country. Right. You know, you can have like young youth players if you really want them to. Youth players be playing r- outdoor during the season, but in the off season, put them on futsal leagues, put them on futsal teams to cultivate those skills simultaneously. I think it'd be a good workaround because yeah. we we have winter to deal with. You know, and I think a lot of people would say that there currently is kind of this like indoor there the people are still play indoor soccer here in the US but the indoor soccer here in the US at least most of the ones that I've seen um, these kind of boarded up indoor soccer facilities are don't get mistaken that that is nothing like futsal no. the courts are smaller sure but they're not as small as a futsal court and there's an added um, kind of safety net of having the walls and the ball never going out of possession the a- what makes futsal so amazing in, in producing talent is y- you can't you can very easily lose possession if your passes are misplaced. With an indoor boarded facility, that's not really the case. You I mean you can hit it off against the wall and still have your teammate get the ball or yourself get the ball. That 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 doesn't necessarily produce really good footballing knowledge, right? So I think that there's a major difference, and you always see a lot of locations that have this indoor boarded facilities, but you don't see the ones where it's just lined small courts, small courts or small, small, small turf fields. Um, and that change needs to happen. I think that getting rid of the boards, even because there are a lot of places that just have boarded indoor facilities, get rid of that. And you might see a change there, there alone. You might see a big change. I, I agree with that. I think that, uh, that's a big point. I mean, like how, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny cause, um, I have this conversation with, with just like people who have played soccer before and oftentimes if I if you've ever played a competitive soccer game, you would never dare use the wall in a in a no. boarded soccer game. Like I will I will lose the ball before I hit it up against the wall just because it's it's to me it just seems like I'm cheating the game. 
Um, yeah, and but, see, but when you see people that have kind of never played at a competitive in a competitive stance, they'll use that wall like it's the freaking it's the only thing they know. How I to grew do. up using that wall, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and so I think my perspective is the fact that I never played futsal. Right. I only ever grew up playing indoor on these these boards i was yeah. like oh well these boards are gonna add yeah, to my it's, strategy it's, right. and it, it really takes away from you as a player because then you have that crutch of that like doesn't translate to the actual game no. at all because you could bank a pass off and you can get it by a defender and your right. guy can still get it but if you attempted to get around another defender that ball is going to be picked right. off or it's going to go it's out almost a completely different game even if you're just booting shots right and oh, exactly. times you're losing a game and you're kind of just ripping shots and the ball deflects back to you yeah. or to one of your teammates it, that doesn't happen in, in it world. almost takes the finesse out of the game right like Absolutely. if you're let's say you're playing at center back and you're trying to send your forward a long ball a lot of times what happens in these indoor boarded games is you're going to boot that ball and hope that it maybe hits off the wall onto the path of yep. your attacker versus you trying you having to pick off the perfect pass yep. for it to drop perfectly for right. your uh, forward. That's what soccer is, not, you know, some indoor boarded <laughs> version of hockey. Right. You know? Yeah, it's closer to hockey than it is. Yeah, yeah, I grew up loving that <laughs> shit, dude. It was so yeah, much and fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun, but when you're talking about producing players, it oh, yeah. doesn't really help. Oh, producing. definitely, definitely, definitely <laughs> sent me back so <laughs> many spots in terms of where my development was. It yeah. was awful. It'll be an interesting shift to see as it, as it, if, it, if it does come up and, and does actually end up happening. But um, there's actually been a lot of focus on professional futsal in America recently. Uh, there was a league called – there is a league called the Professional Futsal League, the PFL. And they were, sa- they were supposed to start play in 2018. And Mark Cuban actually invested in this league. So, in other words, you have a big-time investor like Mark Cuban backing you. Yeah. This was supposed to be a thing that really took hold and went forward. Unfortunately, they haven't – there has been no update about the PFL in two years. Mm -hmm. And so their website's still up and it looks amazing and everything looks awesome, but there has been very little news about this league in two years. So who knows what's going on behind the scenes. But the reason I bring it up is because clearly people are seeing the value and the interest in futsal. And so I wonder if we'll ever get a legitimate professional futsal league in America, but I do think it might be too early for that. Yeah. Uh, does does the U.S. ever compete in the futsal like world tournaments? I'm not too certain, yeah. to be honest with I, you. I, I I ask because I can think of almost every other t- country yeah, in the world right? having a team. Um, but it, the U.S. is not coming to mind. Yeah, it's interesting that the U.S. doesn't compete on that front. I mean, you think of just I mean, if you want to ever see really cool soccer games that just are filled with tricks, it's a futsal game, international yeah. futsal game. Like you, honestly, you see freaking flicks that yeah. are just ridiculous. It's like it, it's rainbow goals. Yeah. <laughs> it's like watching a different game. Yeah. It's like you want to go watch some real highlights. <laughs> you want to see like those crazy yeah. things. Like go watch futsal. Yeah. This is yeah no for real. Um, but that's I think that what you said is when about how Americans don't usually participate in it. I think one thing to think about too is I feel like some people when they hear futsal they almost dismiss it as if like oh it's this like you know it's just like indoor soccer at five aside how is that going to help anything. But when you realize that there are actual organized futsal leagues and there is the Futsal World Cup and there's all of these like legitimately uh, organized sports, uh, sporting events around futsal, that's when you realize that it's not just some small little kids game or it's not just some like off to the side thing. It's a legitimate sport that runs parallel yeah. to soccer. Yeah. And so you shouldn't dismiss it because there are some phenomenal athletes who play futsal. Yeah. Trap it up. Uh, should futsal or five aside be mandatory for all youth players across the world? Um, 
it's hard to say mandatory, but I think for sure, I think that there should be more of an emphasis on it for sure. I mean, um, it, again, it's it's a, it has a proven track record of producing players. It's it's no coincidence that Brazil has produced so many players, and they all seem to have the same backstory of oh, I started off playing futsal for X X Y Z club, right? So I think that. Mandatory. We could make it mandatory, and maybe we'll see some more talent come out. But for sure, I think that if if not mandatory, it has to be a it has to be required for for you to have played at least a year. You know what I mean? It, it's something that I really do think has impact on producing um, really artistic players and really skillful players. So I think for sure. If you look on the professional futsal website right now cover the, the top the top three people that they have of like why should I play futsal yeah. Pele, Ronaldo and Messi <laughs> that should explain it at yeah. all I mean uh, wow that's awesome definitely yeah. not mandatory I think but I think that every youth soccer development should have a futsal season going yeah. on in the winter when kids aren't playing I think if I if I'm a coach and I want to produce really great players i would i i would make sure that my players are playing in a futsal game. oh yeah if i was just like a, a dad coach be like hey guys you know winter's coming up i don't know what you guys are doing yeah. but you guys should play futsal yeah for sure no i think it should also be maybe not mandatory and also maybe not in uh just futsal i think that street soccer and five-a-side yeah. soccer as a whole whether it takes place on a court whether it takes place on a small turf field as long as it's legitimate real five-a-side football soccer i think that should be given a lot more focus than it currently is especially uh, uh, for younger ages especially at the younger ages and i think that like you said the track record's proven and if you if you want to say you know oh but we're americans that doesn't work for us that's also a lie because (laughs) you have pulisic who's (laughs) american who is everybody's grand savior for the america the u.s men's national team who followed the same footsteps he played futsal he learned the 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 skills needed and then went on to do amazing things And so I think that if there ever is going to be an American Messi, an American Ronaldo, or even another Pulisic at any point in America's soccer history, it's going to have to be because of the the added focus to five-a-side soccer. Right. And, I, I, and in no sense, I don't want people to think that we're, kind of, that we're bashing on the development of American soccer. I think that it, this is just another thing they have to add in to, to get to the level that other, other countries in the world are at. Definitely. I think that, like we said, we've talked about the growth of American soccer basically every single episode that we've recorded. So we know that it's there. It's just a matter of how do you take it from here where we currently did not qualify for a World Cup, despite yeah. the fact that we have some phenomenal players, which we all agree the American, the U.S. Men's National Team is pretty good. Yeah. It's a pretty good team. Yeah. But for them to miss out on a World Cup, you know, that's not a great look. And for you to take the step of not even qualifying for a World Cup to eventually winning a World Cup, th- that yeah. that. That is such a huge gap that it's going to sure. have to be closed somehow. Right. Yeah. Right. And this is definitely one of the one of the glaring um, pieces that are missing. For sure. And that's it for this week's episode. Let us know what you guys think about futsal. If you think that it is something that should be mandatory for children to be participating in at young ages, why or why not? Have you ever had any experience playing futsal? Let us know in the comments below. Email, DM wherever you can reach us. As always, be sure to leave that five-star review, and we'll catch you next week.